0: Well, if you uh, only had a few hours left with uh, the people closest to you, what would you say to them? If you knew, like, whether it's friends or family, your church family, whatever that looks like, you like, okay, I've only got a few hours left with these people, what would you want to communicate to them? You would probably make sure that you reminded them of um, the things that are most important. One of those moments where it's like, hey, if you forget everything else that I've told you, if you forget every conversation we've ever had, everything we've ever been through, please don't forget this or these things. And that's the kind of conversation that we are going to peer into today and over the next couple of weeks um, as we move into back into our series on the Gospel of John. If anybody's counting, this is now part 37, okay? <laughs> it's been like two years... Uh, it's winding down though, all right. So like this coming Easter, we're gonna we're gonna wrap John up, but we're gonna spend the next three weeks uh, back in the Gospel of John, looking at what's known as the Farewell Discourse. This is Jesus um, with his disciples just hours before he's arrested, hours before he is crucified, and he is just teaching them and encouraging them and instructing them in some some massive ways. And it's such it's a you can feel the weight of the conversation. It's intense. And John even structures his gospel that way. The gospel of John, the first half of it, the first 11 chapters cover the first three, like the three years of Jesus' life and ministry. The last 10 chapters cover the final week of Jesus' life. And within those 10 chapters, four of them are dedicated to what's known as the farewell discourse. Jesus talking to his disciples right before he's going to be arrested and crucified. And in this kind of farewell discourse, he's giving them like these instructions of like, hey, I'm preparing you to let you know that I'm leaving. I'm not going to be with you in the same way that I've been with you over the course of these last three years. I'm still going to be here. I'm sending my spirit, but you're not going to be able to, like, say, hey, Jesus, and give me a high five. Okay, I'm, I'm gone. And so there's some things you need to know when I'm gone, some things that are going to help you to carry on, some things that are going to help you to live out your faith and survive in the world as you follow me. And so over the course of the next three weeks, we're going to look at three kind of big ideas, three things that Jesus instructs his disciples in. Uh, there's a lot more than that in the farewell discourse, um, but we're going to touch on the- these three. Uh, and We actually started to look at it last week as we looked at Jesus saying, I'm the way and the truth and the life. That's part of the farewell discourse as well. But three ideas that was important for uh, the disciples then that are equally as important for those of us that are trying to pursue and follow Jesus today as well. So we're going we're to get this first one here in John chapter 15. If you've got a Bible this morning, you want to follow along there, you can do that, or on a mobile device. There are some Bibles at the back of the room. Uh, it's going to be up on our screens as well. So here's what Jesus says, John chapter 15, starting in verse 1. I am the true vine, and my Father is the gardener. Uh, This is one of these I am statements of Jesus. There's a theme in the Gospel of John, of John recording statements of Jesus saying, I am this, I am that. These, These pictures of his identity and things that he's fulfilling. And so we see, I am the true vine. We've seen, I am the way and the truth and the life. I am the resurrection and the life. I am the living water and on and on and on. This idea that Jesus is communicating, there's something about me that is core to who I am that you need to know about. Uh, and it's interesting, he doesn't just say I'm a vine or the vine, but um, I'm the true vine. And so there's a little bit of a, an indication that, well, there, maybe there's another vine that wasn't the true vine, that didn't do what it was supposed to do. And uh, this actually becomes apparent as you read through the Old Testament. The nation of Israel is oftentimes referred to as a vine or a vineyard. God's vine, God's vineyard. And, and when Israel is referred to in that way, it's never in a positive light. Uh, It's usually like, hey, there was something, Israel, you were supposed to be doing. You were made for something. You were supposed to be faithful to God. God was calling you to do something. You were like a vine or a vineyard, and you were supposed to be producing grapes, but you're not. And so you were this vine that didn't do what it was supposed to. And here's Jesus showing up saying, I am the vine, the true vine, the one who is going to produce what God wants to do in the world. I am the true vine. And then he says, and my father is the gardener. My father is the gardener. Uh, Literally, the word that's translated as gardener can also be rendered as farmer, or in some translations, you may have like the very specific vine dresser. It's not necessarily a phrase that we use that often, gardener is a little more natural for us, but it literally is a vine dresser, one who looks over a vineyard, Uh, that God the Father is looking over this vine, and Jesus is the vine, and and the Father is doing something to, to help the vine. And he's a, a vine dresser. A vine dresser is different than just a farmer or a gardener. Because, you know, if, you, if, you, if you're someone who gardens or someone who farms, like there's, there's kind of these seasons of like you know, there's, there's planting and there's harvesting uh, and, and there's kind of downtime in between. Uh, that's not the way it works with, with a vineyard or a vine dresser. He goes out and checks his vines every day. Make sure we don't have an insect problem. We don't have a fungus problem. Do we need to do some pruning here? The, 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 the vine dresser is always looking to bring about maximum yield from his vines. And so Jesus starts this teaching of like, hey, here's something you need to know. Before I leave, I'm going to introduce you to some characters in this this word picture that I'm giving you because Jesus is just a master of that, communicating in pictures that his audience is familiar with. And so he's like, here's this picture. I'm the vine. God the Father is the gardener. And there's one more kind of character in this this word picture. And that's the branches. Every branch. Every branch. And so as this this picture develops, we've got Jesus the vine, God the Father, and the branches are his disciples. The branches are people who are following Jesus, who are putting faith in Jesus. He's like, there's branches in me, and every branch in me that does not produce fruit, he removes. And he prunes every branch that produces fruit so that it will produce more fruit. There's this idea of fruit and fruit production Three different times there. If you do not produce fruit, prunes every branch that does produce fruit, because we want even more fruit. So if if you're connected to me, you're you are i am the vine, you're the branches, you're connected. There, there should be there should be evidence of your connectedness to me. Something should be coming about in your life. As we read through the New Testament, this, this idea, this picture, this theme comes about often as Jesus talks about how do you know someone's faith is genuine? How do you know if we're really pursuing Jesus? How do you know if, if it's not just empty words or something we say? It's like, well, there'll be fruit in your life. You will know people by their fruit. So it's like, when you're connected to me, something happens in your life. Something's produced in your life. And I would kind of submit that there are two general categories of fruit that happens in our lives. That there's a, there's a fruit that's internal. There's something that happens inside of us as we're following Jesus and pursuing Jesus. He he does something in us. He transforms us. And there's also a fruit that is external. There's some there's, there are things that we do that we're made to actually contribute to the world and and, and do things that bring glory to God. And so the the apostle Paul in writing to the Churches, uh, after Jesus' death and resurrection, this Jesus movement is getting off the ground, and it's transforming and changing the Roman Empire, and Paul's instructing these little gatherings of Jesus' followers, and he gives us some insight into these different kinds of fruit. That internal fruit he famously talks about in the letter that he writes to the church in Galatia, uh, and it's known as the fruit of the Spirit. Towards the end of the, the letter to the Galatians, in Galatians 5, we read this. Paul says, the fruit of the Spirit is love. It's joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness faithfulness gentleness and self-control that there's something that when we're connected to jesus and his spirit is living within us he's transforming us these kind of things start being produced in our lives we start to see them more and more in our lives that there's an inner transformation that happens but it is a process just like fruit like grows it's not just you plant something one day and the next day you're like huh Apples, there's a pile of apples on the ground. It's like, no, I've got to plant a seed, and then there's a tree, and then it develops, and then there's apples, and you got to prune, you got to do all these things. Like, the fruit of the Spirit in our lives is a gradual process. So there's some really good news in this. The good news is, like, we, we don't have to think, I started following Jesus, so the next day I have to be perfect. Like, because that would be really rough, because we would all fail at that. It's like, no, like, there's something that will happen over time. But then there's also, it's also challenging, because it also lets us know that if my faith is in Jesus, and I'm really pursuing Him, there should be a difference in my life over time that I I shouldn't be the same person that I was when I started following Jesus a year ago or five years ago or 50 years ago, but he is doing a work in me. There's there's this fruit being produced. There's love in my life, joy, peace, patience, and all of these different things. So there's that internal fruit. There's there's who we are is being transformed. Who we are made to be is Jesus. Like there's a person I've made you, I've made you anew to be, and I'm trying to bring that about in you. But then there's also an external fruit. Paul, in in a letter to uh, one of the other churches that he works with, uh, the church in Ephesus, in his letter to the Ephesians, says this in Ephesians 2.10. He says that we are his, talking about God, we are his workmanship. Some translations say craftsmanship, some say masterpiece. We are God's masterpiece, we are his workmanship. We have been created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared ahead of time for us to do. He so we, said, we've been created in Christ Jesus. And so this isn't just like uh, you were just born to do good works. And is, those are just going to naturally flow out of anyone. But like when you put your faith in Jesus, that you've been reborn. You are a new creation. You've been made anew. And part of that new life in Christ, there are good works for you to do. That, that, there are, that the, the efforts and the energies of our life, now that our faith is in Jesus, take a kingdom kind of perspective. And so what I do with my life is I'm contributing to the world in a way that brings glory to God and reflects the love of Jesus to the people around me. And so there's these categories, that, like, oh, what we do with our time, what we do with our talent, and what we do with our treasure. Our time, talent, and treasure are these things that say these are now directed towards God and his kingdom. There's, a, there's an external fruit. And so man, maybe that looks like I'm serving in my community or I'm serving in my church. I'm a person who's just generous and I bless people with what I have. I'm a, I'm a person who I reach out to those who are hurting and broken and maybe left behind and I make sure they feel included and welcome. I, I invite people into my home and display hospitality. I get to know my neighbors. I show them the love of God. I, and maybe it's not even those big things. Sometimes we think these big categories, but sometimes those external works are simply, hey, the good work that I'm doing today is I'm raising kids and it's hard, and it's time-consuming, and it's draining, but I want them to know Jesus. That's a, that's, that's a good work that you're doing. It's, hey, I'm just showing up at work every day, and, and, and the people that I'm engaging with, I'm not preaching at them, but I'm, I am making sure that they know they are loved and they are valued by how I treat them. That is a good work that's been prepared ahead of time for you to do. And so there's this idea of fruit in our lives that is going to be internal. Uh, who I am is changing. I'm becoming more and more of the person that God has created me to be, and what I do in the world is bringing glory to God and pointing people towards Jesus and his kingdom. There's going to be fruit. There's going to be fruit. Every branch in me, he says, there's this indication that every branch is supposed to bear fruit, but every branch in me that does not, so some branches won't. Every branch in me that does not produce fruit, he, we're, we're talking about the gardener from verse one, God the Father, he removes. So there's some, some uh, roles of the gardener in this picture. One is, he, he removes branches that don't bear fruit. If you've got a, a plant that's supposed to be bearing fruit and you have branches that aren't, uh, those branches are actually sapping energy from the branches that are productive. Because those branches got to be alive, they got to have leaves and they look like they're living, but they're not actually contributing to anything. It's like, well, if we take that branch off, that energy can now go into a plant that, or a, a branch that is producing fruit. And not only that, but in, in, in plants, if you've got a, a branch that's not producing, it may have an insect problem, it may have, have a disease problem, and we don't want that spreading to the rest of the plant. It's about to be fall time, right, where we're going to see all the, all the bagworms and webworms and everything on all the, like, crabapple trees, and it's like, Ew, they're nasty. And it's like, yeah, you've got to cut those out and burn them, okay? Because if not, they'll spread everywhere. Ask Paul. He, he, he'll tell you. He'll tell you all about it. Um, but th- there's this idea that, hey, there's, there's some branches that we have to get out of there, and again, this is in the context of, of talking about people. That, this is the picture of people who are going after Jesus. And so it's like, wow, that's, that's kind of harsh, but there is this reality that we can look like we're following Jesus, but not actually be doing it. But one of the commentaries I read in preparation for this message said it very plainly. He said that such people may attend religious, or every, they may attend every religious meeting. And so like every time the church doors are open, I'm there. Uh, back in the day, this was Sunday morning, Sunday night, Wednesday night. Anybody familiar with that pattern, right? I'm sorry. <laughs> but it says, like, every time the church is open, I'm there. Like, you can do that, but such people may attend every religious meeting, but their commitment is superficial. They never make Jesus Lord. And so it's like, well, I'm, yeah, I'm a, I'm a Christian, and yeah, I go to church, and I believe God, but Jesus is not the highest priority in my life. He's not the final authority in my life. I've not actually given him and said, hey, you know what? Whatever you want, I'm going after that. And see, so these are the uh, the branches that don't produce fruit. But then there's there's another thing that the gardener does. Not only does he remove the branches that don't produce fruit, he also prunes every branch that produces fruit so it will produce more. He does some pruning. But shoots and suckers have to be pruned off, because again, they'll take energy away from the the main plant that is producing the fruit. So we want to drive all that effort and all that energy to where there's the most yield, to where there's the most potential. So you see, we're following Jesus, we're producing fruit, but there's always the potential for us to produce more. We think, am I I perfectly producing fruit in my life? Well, of course not. It's like, am I perfectly loving God every moment of every day? Of course not. Am I perfectly loving the people around me? Heck no. We, We think back to that list of the fruit of the Spirit. Am I perfectly loving all the time? I perf- I'm obviously perfectly patient and self-controlled all the time. It's like, no, it's like, no, there's a lot of room to grow. And God's like, I know, and I want more of that fruit in your life, so I'm going to have to come along and do a little prune here and a prune there so there's more fruit in your life. And sometimes that pruning's like, hey, it's a nice, gentle set of pruning shears. A little snip. Oh, okay, that wasn't so bad. Sometimes God comes out with the chainsaw and it's like, half the plant needs to go, okay? And you're like, are you sure? And he's like, I'm sure, I'm sure because I, 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 want, I want more for you. I want better for you. So we got to prune some things out of your life. The challenge is, is when that pruning process begins, oftentimes we're very hesitant to allow that to happen. So it's like, no, 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 I, I, don't, I don't like the pruning. The pruning is uncomfortable. I, I, I see that branch that you're going after, God, and I really, really like that branch. Can we please save that branch? That's my favorite branch. I don't like the pruning. I don't, I don't like what has to, to come away. We resist it. Or sometimes, whenever we resist it, there's the, you know, I want to hold on to these things, but sometimes there's also the thinking of, sometimes the pruning is hard. Sometimes God prunes us in a way that's like, it comes through rough circumstances in our lives. But God doesn't cause the pain. God doesn't cause like the evil things to happen to us. But he says, if you will allow me, I can use that terrible thing that happened and I can actually use it for your good and for my glory. I can use this as a pruning moment. Like the thing that you're experiencing, the pain, the loss, the circumstance, you're going through that anyway. Would you allow me to use that to do something in you that couldn't happen otherwise? But sometimes in those moments, we're tempted to think if life is hard and if life is painful, then my faith must not be working. But I would say it's actually the opposite. It's usually in the moments when life is hard, when things are painful, that our faith has the opportunity to grow the most. That's been my experience in my own life. It never feels good in the moment, but looking back, I'm like, you know what? God did something in me in that season that never would have happened if I hadn't gone through it. I wouldn't wish it again. I wouldn't wish it on anybody else. But man, I knew Jesus in a more real way during that time. So there's a pruning that happens. Sometimes the pruning, sometimes it's things that just need to go. You know, sometimes there's sin issues that need to be pruned out. Other times, they're, they're not just they're not necessarily things that are bad. It's just something that, It's holding us back from what God wants for us. And so maybe it's a habit. It's like, yeah, this is just taking way too much of my time, my energy, my focus, and God wants to get that out of there. Maybe it's a relationship, and it's not that he's a bad person or she's a bad person, but it's just, it's holding you back from what God has for you. Maybe it's our comfort, our stuff, our thoughts, our words, but there's just things. He's like, I want more for you, so we're going to do some pruning. We're going to do some pruning. Every branch that does not produce fruit, he removes, and he prunes every branch that produces fruit so it will produce more. Verse three, you are already clean. Because of the word I've spoken to you. Now, there's a little uh, play on words happening here. uh, Because the word for clean or cleanse, the Greek word kathario, it can actually mean clean or cleanse. It can also mean prune. And so here's this idea you're already clean, you're already pruned. Like when you put your faith in Jesus, you're forgiven of your sins, it's all taken care of, and you've been cleansed in that sense. And yet, throughout the rest of your life, there'll be a continual cleansing and pruning. This is like the Christian life. We put our faith in Jesus and we're forgiven. We have a new life. And then yet through the rest of our life, there's a continual pruning process that happens. And so he's given this instruction or this kind of idea. Hey, here's a picture for you guys. I'm the vine. God's the gardener. You're the branches. You were made to produce fruit. Like you were made to have something happen in you and something happen through you. Now he's going to get to how does that happen exactly? Verse four. This is like the first real instruction that he gives the disciples. Remain in me. Remain in me. You may be familiar with translations that say, abide. Abide. Stay in me. Stay connected to me. Remain in me. Don't leave. Don't get disconnected. Remain in me and I in you. Just as a branch is unable to produce fruit by itself, unless it remains on the vine, neither can can you unless you remain in me. I am the vine and you are the branches. The one who remains in me and I in him produces much fruit because you can do nothing without me. Notice the, the relationship between us bearing fruit in the proximity of God. See, sometimes when we think about bearing fruit, we think about kind of obedience and who I'm supposed to be and how I'm supposed to act and what I'm supposed to do. Uh, we can get this picture, at least I know I can, where God wants me to do things, but he's like, it's a picture of a distant God off in the distance yelling, you need to produce fruit. And he's like cracking the whip, like you're not producing enough fruit. Do it, do it. But, but Jesus gives us pictures like, no, 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 it's not a far off God. He's a God who's right there with you. There, there's an intimacy that is uh, involved here that Jesus is working alongside us. He's working in us. He is the one who actually ultimately is producing the fruit in us that the fruit in our lives is not something that God demands from a distance. That the fruit of our lives is a byproduct of our relationship with him. So remain in me, stay connected to me. If anyone does not remain in me, He's thrown aside like a branch, and he withers. And they gather them, they throw them into the fire, and they're burned. And, and so, if, you know, when a, when a storm comes through and knocks some branches out of a tree, and, and they're on the ground, and, and, you know, a few days go by, they're, they're still kind of green, they've got the leaves on them, and as more time goes by, they get a little withery. Or where it's even more pronounced uh, is when a storm comes through and knocks a branch, like breaks it off in the tree, but it's stuck. It's stuck in the tree and so you see it with all the, the green foliage around it and then all of a sudden this one section it's looking a little wilty and then it's looking a little dead and the leaves get all crispy and then eventually they're gone completely and there's just like a dead section in the tree because it's not connected anymore. And so you go about, you're like, well, I guess I gotta do some, some, you know, some yard chores. I'm gonna gather up the brush. I'm gonna get that out of the tree. And what do you do? You take it, and depending on your circumstance or situation, you throw it on the burn pile. You run it through the chipper. You take it to the dump. Because it's like, well, that, that, that that branch is dead. It's not doing anything anymore. And Jesus says, exactly. That's what it's like when you're not connected to me. You're, you're dead, and you're not doing what you were made for. You're not being who you were made to be. Verse seven, so if you remain in me, In my words, remain in you. Ask whatever you want, and it will be done for you. Sweet. I want a million (laughs) dollars. Why are you laughing? It says so right there. This is where context becomes really, really important. This idea, this is a powerful promise. This is a promise that Jesus is making. There are things that you can ask for that the the answer will be yes. This is in the context of if you are connected to Christ, if you are pursuing Christ, if you remain in him and his words in you, this is in the context of bearing fruit in your lives. You're connected to Christ, pursuing his character, pursuing his will in the world. If your desire is to bear fruit, like in alignment with who he is and what he wants to do, the answer to that prayer will be yes. In other words, there's never going to be a moment where your prayer is something like, hey, Jesus, I wanna know you and love you more deeply. Jesus, I, I, wanna, I want more of the fruit of the Spirit in my life. Jesus, I want to I glorify you with my life. Jesus, I want other people to, to know you. I want you to give me opportunities to display your goodness to the world around me. There's never a time where you're going to pray a prayer like that and he'd be like, no, none of that for you. No, the answer is, yes, absolutely, I want you to know me more. I want you to be connected to me. I want my Spirit to work in your life. I want you to glorify me with your life. I want you to bear fruit my father verse 8 my father is glorified by this that you produce much fruit and you prove to be my disciples not that we're proving ourselves to god like see god i really love you i really love you i really love you but the idea of like testing what something is made of when when something is tested when it's proved and say oh now i know what that thing really is you we prove to be authentic followers of Jesus by the lives that we live. The God is most glorified not by the things that we believe, not by uh, our religious practice, but he's most glorified by the lives that we live. The lives that we live demonstrate, do I really trust in who Jesus is? Am I really living this out? Do I take him at his word? And we'll see that in the actions that we live. As the Father has loved me, I also have loved you, so remain in my love. You notice throughout the passage, there's been an interplay of different things that we'll be connected to or abiding in, that Jesus kind of goes back and forth between remain in me, remain in my word, remain in my love, that these things are inseparable. To be in Jesus, to be hearing him and in his word, to be experiencing his love, these, these things that we, we stay in, remain in my love. If you keep my commands, you'll remain in my love just as I've kept my father's commands and remain in his love. Again, keeping commands, living it out, bearing that fruit. And finally, verse 11, I have told you these things so that my, my joy may be in you and that your joy may be complete. So that your joy may be complete. And this is the joy of Jesus within us. Now, this is maybe a little cliche, and you've probably heard something like this before, but it is so true that happiness and joy are two very different things that our world, we tend to be on a happiness quest. I just want to be happy. I just want life to feel good all the time. And this is the overarching kind of ethos of our culture. Be happy, do what makes you happy, pursue what makes you happy, do what like makes you feel good. But the problem with happiness, there's nothing wrong with happiness. It's, it's great to be happy. I love being happy. But man, happiness is so fleeting. Happiness, it changes from season to season. You know, what What made me happy when I was 17 isn't the same thing that makes me happy when I'm in my 30s with little kids and married. It better not be or else I've got problems. What makes me happy now isn't gonna be the same thing that makes me happy when I'm 50 and 60. Our happiness changes. Because our happiness changes, Like it's like, well, he doesn't make me happy anymore. She doesn't make me happy anymore. That job doesn't make me happy anymore. This much money doesn't make me happy anymore. This house or this car doesn't make me happy anymore. This opportunity doesn't make me happy anymore. And it's like, Man, our happiness, it, it's, it's such a fleeting thing. Not only does it change from season to season, our happiness is dependent upon our circumstances. When life is good, I'm happy. When life is bad, I'm not. But joy, on the other hand, joy is waking up every single day and say it doesn't matter what happens today. It doesn't matter if things like my circumstances are great or terrible. Joy says I'm good. I'm just good no matter what. Even if this is the worst, like by everybody's standard, this is the worst day of my life, I still have joy because my joy is not connected to my circumstance. My joy is connected to my Savior. My joy is connected to Jesus and who he is. And who he was then is who he is now, is who he will be tomorrow. Since he doesn't change, my joy doesn't change. Because I'm secure in him. He's like, I want to give you the kind of joy that just... It doesn't matter what you go through, what season you're in, how life stages change, that you can just wake up confidently and say, I'm good, and I am blessed, and things are, are perfect, even though maybe the world is falling apart around you. So often, it seems like that's life. I want your joy to be complete. It's, pre- it's pretty cool, just throughout this passage, Jesus says, remain in me. And if you remain in me, here's some really great things that flow out of that relationship with Jesus. Primarily, you're going to bear fruit Something's gonna happen in your life and through your life. God is gonna be doing something. You're gonna bear fruit. God is gonna hear your prayers and and as it relates to that bearing fruit and and he's gonna answer those prayers. You're gonna glorify God with your life and you're gonna experience joy that goes beyond your circumstances. He's like, remain in me. The best things come when you remain in me. And so as Jesus instructs his his disciples on that night where he knows what's ahead of him, they, they don't have a clue yet. He's preparing them for what's ahead. He gives them instructions. He gives us these same instructions to say, guys, before I go, here, here's some things you're going to need to know. If you're going to follow me and pursue me all the days of your life, you're going to have to remain in me. You've got to stay connected to me. I, I've, I, I've made you to bear fruit. I want to do something in you. I want to do something through you. But you've got to be connected. You've got to abide. The question then, like the million-dollar question is, okay, well, how do we do that? I was like, that's great, that sounds wonderful, but how how do we actually go about experiencing that? There's not like a list of things. That's the hard thing. I'm a list person. I like marking things off and say, great, I've done it. But if we look at the flow of the passage, this idea of remaining and abiding and then what comes out of that, what always comes first is not the fruit. What comes first is not the doing. What comes first is the remaining, it's the relationship. It's that, that when we, we, we can say that like our right action or our obedience to Jesus flows out of our love for Jesus. And so often we flip those things. And we go, man, if I just do the right things, then Jesus will love me or I'll love him more. And it's backwards. And, and the thing that makes it really hard is it's so much of it is just a mindset. Where we can do the same things, but is it, is it the mindset of I'm doing this out of obedience or am I doing this because it's out of a love relationship with Jesus? Just like as an example, I'll, I'll take, uh, you know, like reading the scripture. It's like I want to read the scripture. And I can do that from a perspective of I'm just going to obe- be obedient. I'm going to do this because like this will make God love me or I'll experience more of his love or whatever. And so I'm going to be obedient and hope that leads to love and relationship or i do it out of the relationship and say man like i i'm so my affections for jesus i love jesus and i want to know him more and i want to hear f- hear from him and just like being in a relationship with a person i got to hear from him them and i want to talk to them and and so so i want to be in the scriptures and i want to be praying so that my my relationship grows right it's it's the it's the remaining it's the connection that comes first our obedience and the fruit in our lives comes out of our relationship with jesus and so Here's your homework assignment. I want you to take inventory this week of what are the things that actually strengthen your love for Jesus. What are the things that that, that strengthen your faith? What are the things that kind of like stir up your heart? You know, a lot of times we get into faith conversations in church and stuff, and it's like we talk about knowledge a lot, and knowledge is great. Like, I want to know more about Jesus. I want to know who God is. We talk about right actions, and actions are great. Like, I want to live this out But so often we kind of neglect, right, affections, my affection for Jesus, just my sense of awe with who he is and my love for who he is. What are the things in your life that make that affection and that love grow or increase and what are the things that take it away? So you can start like a note on your phone. We get two categories. Here are the things that stir up my heart for Jesus. Here are the things that kind of make me cold to Jesus. Or if you're like, want to go old school, I feel like I would actually prefer this way. I'm going to take a piece of paper. i want to put a line right down, on, down the middle. On one side, I'm going I'm to write, here are the things that stir up my affections. Here are the things that take it away. And over the course of the next week, every time like there's that moment like, oh, you know what? Man, I think I love Jesus more right now. What did I just do? I think I'm thinking of him more right now. What did I just do? And then those moments where it's like, my faith is kind of blah, like, oh, yeah, I mean, I still like Jesus, but I'm not thinking about it, it's not real alive in me, what maybe did that flow out of? And the thing is, because we're all wired differently, that's going to look different for all of us, so take inventory of that. I know for me personally, there's a couple of things that stir up my affections for Jesus. One of the primary things is, like, time spent with friends talking about faith. That could be like a one-on-one conversation. It could be just a couple people. It could be in the, in the context of, like of, of our small group where there's just conversation that's more than just the surface level that we get in the world. Like, let's talk about work. Let's talk about the weather. Let's talk about sports. There's nothing wrong with those things. But when, you, when I come out of a conversation that's just deeper than that, where we're talking about faith. We're talking about life. We're talking about God. I come out of those conversations not just saying, wow, I've got great friends. I, I say that. But I come out of those conversations going, man, Jesus is so good. I love him, and he's, he's amazing. Like, that's something that stirs up my faith, and something that takes it away is in any category when I entertain myself too much. And that can be a, a wide, you know, broad swath of things. You know, sometimes it's I'm scrolling through way too many reels right now, okay? I'm not going to ask anybody to raise hands because I know I'm not the only person. Could be I'm binge-watching something right now. It could be right now, it's football season, many of you know, um, and I'm a Steelers fan, so I'm just, I'm just loving Xavier on the front row this morning. It's fantastic, um, which means, though, I listen to, like, three or four different Steelers podcasts every day during the season, and it's like, okay, is that the best use of my time? And it's not that anything's wrong with those things, but I find when I do those things too much, I'm like, well, yeah, I'm still a Christian, I still love Jesus, I'm still a pastor, but my heart's not lit up for him. So those are the things for me. What are the things for you? What are the things that stir up your affections for Jesus? What are the things that rob you from that? Make note of that and do more of the things that stir your heart and less of the things that rob you. Come into that space where it's like, okay, I'm connected to Jesus. I'm remaining in Jesus. And then when we are connected, he takes it from there. And we start to see the fruit in our lives. We start to see the transformation within. We start to see and and have this desire to contribute uh, and to point people to him. Let's pray. Lord, thank you so much for who you are. I thank you that you are working in our lives, that you are doing something in us. You are moving, you are changing hearts. That um, we thank you that you are a God who is not far away. You are not distant, but you are right here with us. You've made yourself known. You've revealed yourself through your son, Jesus. We thank you that through his life, death, and resurrection, we can have relationship with you. We can be connected to you. We can know the power of your spirit. We can uh, know this new life. God, I pray you just give us wisdom to know what are the things that we we can do to to grow in our love for you? What are the things that maybe we need to remove? And I pray that you would give us the boldness and the courage to make difficult decisions then and to do the hard things so that we may know you more, experience more of who you are in our lives. I pray that you would uh, work in us. I pray that you would work through us. I pray this all in Jesus' name.